0: I look at numbers uh, within my industry and you still see headlines and you've seen them that will say, you know, the first African-American person to do this or the first to do that. And, you know, you're sort of thinking, hey, wait a minute. You know, it's uh, it's it's 2021. Why why are we still saying the first or, you know, the first woman to do this or the first that that still just absolutely blows my mind. So, you know, have we come a long way? Yes. But also, I think a lot of things in our country, it, it's, it's slow. Hi, I'm Victoria Gaither, and you are entering a world gone good.
1: Well, hello, my name's Steve, and it is Amazing May, where we are doubling your good with two new episodes every Wednesday this month. This episode is your second new one on the same day. Lucky, lucky you. World Gun Good continues to grow our audience thanks to listeners like you who don't just listen. You subscribe to us, you share us, you rate us, and you review us. All of these things are such good things and help us spread the good. So for any of those that you've already done, for all of them that you've done, for any that you still will consider to do, we say thank you. Thank you for helping us spread the good the good. It's pretty, and that word is going to become very ironic in a few moments here. It is pretty funny how small the world is and how we connect with each other, just like we're connecting right now, right? Well, here's a little story. I created a web series called Pretty about 10 plus years ago, and it gained like a cultish following and won some awards and got a bit of press. Maybe you've watched it. If you haven't, go to YouTube and look up Pretty the Series. Um, enjoy the show. Uh, one of these pretty related people was a man named Michael Couch, or as he was known back then as Michael K. Now, Michael K. contacted me and asked me to come on this new blog talk radio show he had joined called At Home with Victoria. The Victoria in this scenario was my guest today, Victoria Gaither. Now, I can't even count for you how many times I went on at home with Victoria. The casts of Pretty went on, my other shows went on. They were such an amazing support system and and they just they just loved us and they shared us, you know. It was it was wonderful. Now in 2013 I finally got to meet them face to face in New York City and it was like this really cool reunion between three people who had been talking for years but never met in person because By this point, Michael and Victoria and I, I think we all considered ourselves more than just, you know, these promotional colleagues. I think we considered ourselves friends. I know I considered them friends. Michael passed away a few years back and Victoria and I stayed in touch through social media and email. And so when I started this podcast and I was making a list of guests, I knew, I knew I had to return the favor and have this incredible woman come on to talk about her good And here's the little behind-the-scenes scoop on how things got interesting. All right, Victoria and I recorded this interview three times. I record my guests on a separate audio track system. It allows me to edit them and myself fairly easily. I get the cleanest results. I can move audio around. If we talk at the same time, it kind of smooths things out. Now, the reason we recorded three times was because the first two times, her final audio track would not download for me. And um, that's never happened before, but here's the fun part. It was during these first two records that we did, where I brought up our friend Michael K, and we spoke about him, and that's the exact part that the audio stopped both times. I could see it on the screen visually, uh, but it cut out and would not download at the exact Same place both times. We agreed our friend Michael K. was fucking with us. And that's my word. She might have said messing. I say fucking. And so the third time we recorded, I didn't bring him up. And guess what? It all downloaded perfectly. Now, you may not believe that story or you might be totally creeped out right now. Or you might be like me and Victoria and just laugh it off as Michael K. being our Michael K. Whatever. You get to choose your own adventure. But, Michael, wherever you are, and I know you're listening, this episode of World Gone Good, this one's for you, buddy. Well, the tables have turned and the world has shifted <laughs> because I have been on the other end of your questions. And now here you are, all these years later, sitting pretty on the other end of mine. <laughs> So, you are the infamous news lady. And my very first question for you is where did the name the news lady come from? Was that given to you by someone or did you choose that yourself?
0: No, I did not choose it myself. I was working in Decatur, Illinois. And there was a little girl. I was going to go do a story and she kept saying, There's the new lady. And I couldn't figure out what she was saying. And she kept saying, New lady. And then this guy said to me, she's trying to say you're the news lady because she would watch me on television. So I got that name early in my career, and it just stuck um, from Decatur, Illinois. So I wasn't smart enough to figure that out. It took a five-year-old to give me that name. <laughs> so, you know, right
1: now in the world, we are looking at a situation for the last couple of years where news um, has sometimes a negative Uh, connotation to it. Um, It has been personalized. It has been subjectified. I'm making up words. What is good about the news? What is still good about the news?
0: It's interesting because, uh, of course, being in the news business myself, I was a huge consumer of news. But all of a sudden, I would say the past five years, um, although I do the news, I talk about the news, Steve, I don't like watching the news because it's so divisive. It's so, um, you know, one-sided. So really, if you're going to watch your regular, you know, Fox, CNN, MSNBC and your regular stations locally where you live, I mean, there really is not that much good news out there. Now, back in my career, people would tell me this all the time. I hate watching the news of Victoria because there's nothing good. And I thought, what are you talking about? But now I get it. I totally understand how all of those people felt early in my career many, many years ago. You know, watching the news, it's like a sport and I don't want to watch the news and have to feel like I'm, I'm in a boxing ring, you know, just trying to get information. So to me, news changed from news to sort of um, entertainment news, uh, if that makes any sense. And when
1: you started, you went to college. What? What did you go to college for?
0: I actually went to college, I wanted to be uh, in political science. I wanted to be a political science reporter growing up in D.C., going to American University and the University of the District of Columbia. I was so into politics and then all of a sudden I got an intern at Fox 5 in D.C. and I got a chance to follow some of the reporters around. They were covering politics, city council meetings. Uh, school board meetings. And I thought, if I have to spend the rest of my life doing this, just kill me. Mm -hmm. I was so sick of it. By the time my internship was over, I knew that I never (laughs) wanted to focus on that. Although I did get a degree in political science, the idea that I had to sit there and just sort of, you know, listen to people argue back and forth, that wasn't something that I wanted to do. So I was very fortunate because I quickly, got a chance to do general assignment, which are, you know, sort of telling stories. I call it community reporting in the trenches, talking to people, figuring out what's going on. So that was really more of my speed, as opposed to political science. And I tell you, I'm so glad I made that decision. Because you can imagine, you know, having to cover politics right now in America, it's crazy.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then back in the day, you had like I had in my career people you looked up to who did you look up to who were your icons
0: my icons were the local newscasters in DC uh Renee Poussant she was absolutely wonderful she was not only beautiful she was well spoken she was articulate uh she had compassion she cared um, so, it really would have been uh, Jim Vance is another one that comes to mind, so if you 're old schooled Washington and you 're listening to this, you would know who those people are uh, Paul barry was was also um, someone that I, I really looked up to, um, and I was very fortunate because in d c we had a mixture of black news anchors and reporters as well as whites because in some places in America, you know back then it was very rare that you would see a black reporter or a black news anchor at the desk delivering the news. So I got a chance, you know, to see uh, a mixture of both, which really said to me that I too can be a newscaster. I too can be a news anchor. Mm-hmm. So I think today when we talk about representation matters, you know, for a little black girl like me growing up in DC, it did matter mm-hmm. because I did see Renee Pousant on television and I thought that I could be her.
1: That is amazing, isn't it? And and the how much has changed over the years, both good and bad, in terms of representation.
0: Yeah, I I, I certainly agree with you. I'm always amazed by when I look at numbers uh, within my industry, and you still see headlines, and you've seen them that will say, you know, the first African American person to do this or the first to do that, and you know, you're sort of thinking, hey, wait a minute, you know, it's uh, it's it's 2021. Why? Why are we still saying the first or, you know, the first woman to do this or the first that that still just absolutely blows my mind. So, you know, have we come a long way? Yes. But also, I think a lot of things in our country, it's it's slow.
1: Oh, it's very slow. But as long as we're here for the moment, let's jump to a whole other place for a second. What were your feelings on the morning of, I believe, January, I want to say 20th, when Kamala Harris became the first, not just woman, to become <laughs> second in charge, but a black, Asian, dissented woman? What, what was in your heart that day?
0: I was feeling exactly like I felt all of those years growing up in D.C. watching black women on television. I felt like, you know, there's going to be some little Victoria you know who's somewhere in America or even overseas who's going to look at her and say I can do that. I can be that. She represents who I am. She represents, you know, my culture, my history. She represents being a woman, a black woman, a woman of Asian descent. So when I saw that, you know, of course I had a big smile and I was very happy about it, but but for me it really took me back to being uh, a kid and and looking at that and saying there there's some Uh, kid of color here in America or around the world who is going to be in her position because she's there. So because she's there now, the door is open. All of us can do it.
1: How many years were you an anchor in Washington, D.C.?
0: So my career spans like so many years. I started off as a uh, intern in D.C. and I worked at uh, Channel 5. And then from there, I went straight to Baltimore for my first full-time job as a associate producer and writer. And uh, then I went to the Midwest. I came back to DC. So I basically freelanced in DC doing radio and also interviews as well. So I've I've been at this for at least 16 years now, although you'd never know looking at my face. That's right, Steve, right? You'd never know looking at me.
1: Well, you, you are like me. We don't crack. We, we moisturize,
0: moisturize, moisturize. That's true. No, we don't crack. But no, um, so, so even now, I'm a freelancer. I work through the National Press Club in D.C. So I, I've, I've been at it for a while and in D.C. for a while. And also, as you know, I spent five years overseas in New Zealand as a reporter uh, and speaker. So, yeah, I wanted to get to that. You were here in the United States
1: during the Obama years And then you moved over to New Zealand right during the Trump years. What was that transition like as an American going to New Zealand, but also looking back at what was happening in your home country?
0: It was interesting, yes, because when I first got to New Zealand, Obama was still in office, and New Zealanders loved President Obama. They loved every single thing about him, even the Australians and Fijians, because I uh, spent time in those countries as well. Uh, they, they believed in President Obama. They believed in his policies. They believed that he was good for America, and they also believed that he was good for the world. Um, so they were absolutely excited to have mm-hmm. Uh, someone of his caliber in the White House because they felt secure and they also felt like that he was not only going to look after America, but that he was going to look after the world and he was going to make decisions based on the world. Uh, And of course, you know, then Obama left uh, office and Trump became president and things quickly changed. So as an American living overseas and also just uh, aside from being a journalist Every single day I would leave and go to the grocery store, the gas station. It didn't matter, Steve, wherever I went, I was always getting questions about um, Trump. Why is he doing this? You know, what, what how could you Americans even vote someone like him in? What is going on in your country? So it was almost, you know, living your life, having to explain. And I had no no explanation myself as to why those things happened. Um, But it it was living in a country where you have to live your life and explain and also apologize. There were many times things would happen at home in America, whether it was a shooting, whether it was a stabbing, whether it was a, uh, a new policy that went into effect. Because me being an American, I got the brunt of it living overseas and doubly as a journalist. So my life overseas, a lot of it was speaking and also having to apologize and to explain why Americans made the decisions that we made. And I've got to tell you, some days it was easy to do, other days it was very, very difficult, especially, Steve, when we would have uh, the big mass shootings here. Um, A lot of times for two days, I would never go out the house because I didn't want to have to have a conversation about gun rights. I didn't want to have to try to explain things and and quite frankly feel ashamed about it. You know, feel ashamed of uh, being an American and those horrible things are happening in my country and and I'm sort of being called out on the carpet for it, although I didn't do it. But you know, you've traveled overseas. When you open your mouth, people know that you're from America.
1: We were um, in the Azores off of Portugal and we were going through a lava tube. It's this underground a uh, cave that the volcano pushes the lava through and they let you go through certain sections of it. And we were with a whole group of people from all over the world and one uh, family from Sweden or or Germany, wherever they were from, and they spoke fairly good English. We could totally understand them, but they were like, how can you live there? We we wanted, we've always wanted to go. We'd never go. We'd never go. We're too afraid of getting shot. And it was a sobering moment. And I found myself saying, no, 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 there's so much good about America. You're just seeing, you're seeing the headlines. You're seeing the shock value. You're seeing the thing that sells commercials and, and, and sells pushes, you know, agendas and exactly what you just said. It's just very interesting how the rest of the world sees us.
0: Yeah, it is. And, 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 and I said the same thing because I did, like I said, Quite a bit of uh, speaking throughout New Zealand, and I always tell them, you know, I'm in the business of news. You're in the business of news and entertainment. So, you know, what what we do in America, in that sense, we do very well. You know, we're 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 very good at at the shock and the value, um, the non-value, and things that you see on television, um, and and that's what the news does. I mean, it's it's although you would say it's news, it's really sort of trying to sell. Um, whatever it is that they're trying to sell at the moment. And we're very good at that. So I would, you know, tell people, you know, you get to see us at our worst, the worst of the worst at our raw when we're killing and stabbing and, you know, fighting for our rights and fighting for Black Lives Matter. I said, you guys get to see the worst of the worst. But unfortunately, what, you know, or fortunately what you don't see are all the amazing Americans who are out there you know, who are doing wonderful things, you know, where you do have blacks and whites and Hispanics and Chinese people that are friends, that are talking to each other, that are going to eat together, that have relationships, you know, where, you know, you actually do have that in America. Um, But of course, the rest of the world doesn't, you know, doesn't see that. They don't get to see what you and I see. And, and, And like that example you talked about, it is very difficult because you want to just sort of shake them up and say, you know, all of America, it's not like that. I promise you, come, you'll have a wonderful time. You'll have a a valuable experience and, and you will be the better for it. But the other thing that I remember a woman in New Zealand said to me, she said, you know, Victoria, you also have to understand that no matter what people say, and I do believe this, America still sets policy and sets the pace of the world. And 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 she said it it doesn't matter if you're up against China, if you're up against Russia, people, at least I can speak for in New Zealand and Australia and Fiji, they still believe, Steve, and all the listeners out there, if anything Mm -hmm. major uh, is going to happen in the world, whether it's technology development, these folks still believe that it's going to come out of America. So in that sense, I was so proud and it was so refreshing, you know, for, for people to believe that. But but her point to me was, was that, you know, when you are on the top, whether people consider America to still be on the top or not, it doesn't matter because you are. She said, you know, people are always going to 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 look at you and throw stones and point out every wrong thing that you're doing because you're on the top. And that was interesting because I'd never heard that explained before. And a little bit of that sort of, you know, made sense. And she says, you know, you're always trying to knock off the guy who's on the top. So that that was just something that I kind of learned about America living overseas. Were you always a traveler? But what, what what drew you to go to New Zealand
1: other than I want to go to New Zealand? I wish you were still there so you could take me around.
0: That's a good question. And it really makes me think about that in the sort of thing that comes to mind is growing up in D.C., um, we always in the summertime would travel around D.C. My grandmother and mom would make sure that we went to the Smithsonian Museums. Um, So I guess really traveling did start early for me, although it wasn't You know, a lot of traveling in the U.S. because we just didn't simply have the money to do that. My uh, family made sure that we would travel within the city. So I got a chance to be exposed, you know, living in D.C. to so many different cultures, race, religion, people. Um, You know, I went to Brent Elementary School on Capitol Hill. Uh, There were so many kids from different countries that, you know, just blew my mind. So I guess really, in a sense, travel for me started um, early, and I've always had this sense of adventure. I always want to know what other people are doing, how other people are living, um, you know, what their homes look like, what they look like, what their office looks like, how they travel. So I think it was that, and then just um, being nosy as a journalist, all of that together Uh, you know, sort of uh, settled inside of me. And it just made me want to travel. I've always wanted to travel and to live outside of America. New Zealand was fantastic because you're living in an environment where, where first of all, you're welcome. New Zealanders like Americans. So that made it easy uh, living there. But it was a little bit of a a culture uh, change for me because in America, You know, we have so much of everything. When you go to the grocery store, you've got so many different types of soap, of bread. You know, we have choice. Um, They certainly do have choice there, but not to the degree of what we have here in America. So I always say, Steve, that travel is good for people because it does one or two things. It makes you appreciate what you have, or it makes you look at your life, your surrounding, your environment, and say, you know— God, you know, like I can do better or it makes you think I don't really have it on the ball like I think that I have it on the ball. So I think travel is a win-win situation.
1: What is it like as a black person going to New Zealand? What is the black population over in New Zealand? I don't even know the answer to that.
0: Well, it, it's pretty much zero. Um, I remember when I was in Palmerston North, which is uh, one of the cities on the North Island, and I went to the grocery store and um, I got out of the car and I saw this woman who looked exactly like me. You know, she was my skin complexion. She was my build. She had braids in her hair. And I was so excited because it's very rare in New Zealand that you see uh, a black person um, now of course they do have uh, the Maori there, which are people of color, but you know their skin complexion and sort of their hair and what they look like aren't aren't what you would consider uh, African or African American or, or or Africana. And um, and I was so excited, and and we started talking, and what was amazing about her was that. New Zealand had taken in refugees from Rwanda. If you remember when they had that civil war and that massacre of 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 Rwanda citizens just being slaughtered and killed, the UN finally came in and all the other countries to go over there and and to try to help out. Well, this woman and her family were resettled to New Zealand through the UN, um, and she came from Rwanda. And it was interesting because although we were the same color. And we look pretty much the same Uh, we didn't sound the same and we didn't have much in common. And that really sort of threw me for a loop because, you know, here I was a black woman from America in my experience, and she was so interested in me. And she had so many questions that she wanted to ask me about life in America, about makeup. She was fascinated about what my hair looked like. She was interested in, in, in what I sounded like, you know, so that was an eye opener for me that, you know here you had two black women because certainly both of us are black meet up in New Zealand in Palmerston North and although we had um color in terms of race in common our our life experiences were totally different and i remember walking away from that experience just thinking you know how 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 can this be? And it took me sort of uh, a, a few weeks to kind of um, uh, digest that because her experience was completely different than my experience as a black woman growing mm-hmm. up in in Washington D.C. So you know, so I I I did stick out like a sore thumb in New Zealand, but it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily really because I was a black woman. To some, that was the case, but it 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 just boiled down to that mm-hmm. I was an American. And I was from Washington, D.C., so they just had so many questions about what is American life like? Is it like what I see on Bravo television? And then one of the main topics that I would speak on in New Zealand uh, was about slavery. That sort of threw me for a loop and it shocked me because I didn't think that New Zealanders would be interested in the subject of slavery. And one woman said to me, She says, Well, Victoria, we get glimpses of, of, of slavery uh, and, and how, you know, black people were brought to America um, in New Zealand when it comes from roots, you know, the, the movie, when it comes from things that we see on television. But to actually have, you know, a Victoria Gaither, who's a black woman, you know who's standing there that they can touch they can talk to they can feel they they can relive my story through me telling my family story of slavery and every single thing that i know um it 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 was a remarkable and i use that word because one woman said that to me she says it was a remarkable experience because to put a face to it and to be able to ask the questions that you want to ask it was very much an a educational experience. So I thought that I was going to be in New Zealand and really focus on media, focus on television, focus on radio. But I would say 80% of what I talked about in New Zealand when I was invited to speak, and I did a lot of speaking in the country, was about slavery and was strictly about America.
1: It's uh, in some ways a burden on our shoulders as Americans to go to other countries when they see, as you said, the Bravo version of us and the news that took place, you know, from 2016 to 2020. And I remember we were in Australia and it was right after Obama had come into office. We were in Thanksgiving and he had just been voted in on, you know, November 6th, I guess it was. Mm -hmm. And we were in a cab and we said to the cab driver, I asked him, I said, what happened when you all heard that we voted in Obama? And the Sydney cab driver, young man, he said, we ran into the, we were running, partying in the streets. He said, we were, people were drinking and cheering for the United States in the streets. They were so happy and thrilled for us. And, and, and they saw it as a beacon for them as well. So there's, there's always, I guess, a good and a, and a, not a bad, but just a, a responsibility, I
0: guess like your experience in Australia, it is not until you spend time, whether it's, you know, it could be a two or three week vacation. In my case, it happened to be five years when you spend time in another country and you really get to see, yes, America is powerful, whether you like us or not, whether you say China is or not, it it doesn't matter. America still sets policy for things that happen in the world. And, you know, if, if, if something passes in America, like same sex marriage, then I, you better believe that Australia, New Zealand and Great Britain, the English speaking countries eventually will follow along. So in that sense, you know, I was, I always knew that, that, that we set, um, policy and, and we set pace for the rest of the world. Uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 and we certainly, certainly do.
1: What would today Victoria say to 16 18 year old Victoria? What advice would you give her if you could speak to her?
0: I would say to ask more questions and questions and to ask for what you want. When I was younger, uh to me to ask a question, I thought that that meant that I was um challenging someone. So to ask a question is not a challenge. It's just simply you're asking a question, whether the answer is going to be yes, whether the answer is going to be no. It's just to have the ability to be comfortable in myself and to actually ask a question and not be afraid. So, so somehow in my childhood, and I still haven't been able to figure it out, and I didn't really think about it quite honestly until you asked me this question. Uh, somewhere I always equated that if you ask a question, then you're challenging somebody, and there's something wrong in that. Um, so I I would say it, it it would be that. So if anybody is listening, you know, just because you ask a question, that doesn't mean that 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 you're challenging someone. You just simply want an answer, you know, what, whatever that answer is going to be. Which is quite ironic because I ended up in my life, you know, being a broadcaster, a writer, asking questions. But back then, I, I didn't have the ability nor the confidence. To do that.
1: And I think that's part of just the journey that we have as human beings. And as we grow is to not just go along with a system or not just go along with a plan as it's been preset by somebody else. And a lot of the times we're just asking for ourselves of how am I going to fit into this way? And then trying to discover Mm -hmm. if there's a way we can create a new path that Mm -hmm. may be for us. And then who knows what'll open for other people
0: yeah and i think also too the the word that that we use uh at least now i think in 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 the year, in the 2000 and you quite commonly hear people say a voice you know giving somebody a voice so i i say looking back i didn't understand as a child i didn't understand as somebody who was in my teens and quite frankly i didn't even understand in my early 20s when i when I started working for a television station, that I had a voice and that that voice was valid, that voice was important, and, and, and that voice, um, you know, wanted answers. So I think now it's great because whenever I hear someone say, you know, you have a voice or, or to give this a voice or to give that a voice, I think it's fantastic because not everyone, you know, was, was like Victoria and I was you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, I didn't have a voice. I really would have had to rely on someone else to be my voice because I was afraid to ask a question or to speak up. So I love it now when people, you know, give voice to things.
1: We end this show with three questions. Don't worry, you know the answers. First and foremost, the easiest question, where can people find you online and follow you?
0: Oh please please follow me on Instagram. I'm always somewhere and I'm sure Steve I know you're going to uh, put it inside your uh, show information but it's where to next vic and that's where the number 2 next vic v i c and uh follow me on Instagram. I would would love to follow um would love for you to follow me as as I will you. I don't like it when people just sort of come and follow and then the other person doesn't do the same thing. So I'm going to enjoy following you and discovering, you know, what you guys do uh, as well. So I look forward to that. Second
1: to last question. Who inspires you?
0: I would say um, right now it's uh, Amanda Gordon, the poet. Um, I just think she's absolutely fantastic. There's so many things that um, I absolutely love about her um, I just think that, that she's brave. I think she's strong. I think she's incredibly intelligent, you know? So I, I, I look at her, um, and I just think that, wow, like, like there is really still hope left in America, you know? I, so I would say right now, a lot of young people inspire me because, you know, when you and I are gone and we've moved on and, you know, our voices is, is, is quieting down, you know, it's great to see that there are young people that are actually filling uh, the shoes of that. Um, and right now I'm inspired really as timely as it is, as we have this conversation by all of the, uh, the Asian women that are coming forward, standing up for themselves, you know, saying, you know, stop Asian hate. You know, I mean, as we have this conversation, we just had the, the, sh- the, the, the shooting of, was it uh, eight people, six are, are Asian women from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. You know, so so just to see not only Asian women, but just people in America and even around the world standing up Mm -hmm. saying, hey, listen, you know, this is wrong. This this stuff has to stop. So 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 everyday people, when we have these types of horrible situations that I see inspire me because they're doing the right thing and they're giving a voice to something that's wrong.
1: And finally, this can go back to anything we've already spoken about or anything you want to say, very simply, tell me something good
0: oh what I have to tell you that is good is I've been spending winter in Killington Vermont and the Mountain Times which is a community newspaper there online and they have a circulation of 20,000 they have uh, asked me to write stories so while I am here this winter I've been writing amazing stories community stories about people that are doing fantastic things people that you know have lived and have worked here for 30 some years that are making a contribution I did a story That's in the paper that I'm looking at right now on maple syrup. I didn't know much about maple syrup except that I knew that you know you kind of drill a hole in the tree and you get the sap out, but I've learned all about that process. Two wonderful uh, uh, families that run maple farms here, so it's sugaring season, Mm -hmm. and um, just being able to meet a lot of local people in Rutland and also Killington uh, at the ski mountain that are just amazing people living their everyday life, but doing wonderful things. So that's my good news, is that the Mountain Times gave me the opportunity to write stories about everyday people.
1: Thank you, Victoria, for sharing your good. After we finished, we continued talking about travel. And I mentioned how much I want to go to an ice hotel. Look it up. Ice hotel. You said yes to that, Victoria. And you better believe I'm going to hold you to it. Next time on
0: World Gone Good. My message is it's never too late to be your authentic self. And it's never too late to begin again. I shouldn't be an optimist with my life story. And I am.
1: Amazing May continues with double the shows all month long, so we've got two brand new ones coming right at you. My friend Quinn Fontaine is a trans actor, author, who teaches people how to be free through the good of improv, and I hated what was going on in the country. I never believed
0: or thought that I was so naive that we're all going to get along, but I really just believe that we can get a conversation going.
1: Christina Crowley is the creator and host of We as Citizens podcast, which started much like this one did. She wanted to share positivity with the world through the people who are making positive things happen, the positivity makers. It's two inspiring shows that are coming your way. Until then, be good.